Let us pray. Lord, I started this prayer this morning with our new members by reminding ourselves it's Sunday. Today that just feels different to us. For most of the world, it's just another day to mow the lawn or to go somewhere and do something and enjoy themselves. But you meant for us to have a day to come to rest. You meant for us to take a break from the world that keeps us so busy. You meant for us to be able to reconnect with ourselves and with, no, with you first. Then ourselves and then with the people around us. Also with nature, so it's good we know to be outside. But Lord, in this world during the week, we do not have a lot of time to hear your voice. But the silence in this building, the quietness, the music, the readings, all of these things remind us of the holiness of God that you are different, reminds us that you want us to spend time with you and to sit with you. So, Lord, as we sit with you today, I ask it through your word, you will share with us, O oh Lord, what you want us to know individually about this scripture that I need to share, need to break open this morning. Bless my words. May it be from you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask this. Amen. I have never heard this expression until we came to live in America. That thing about pulling yourself up with your bootstraps. Now, I do not know if you've ever tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> your knees are in your eyes or your face is right in the dirt. There's no way that anybody can pull himself up, up with his bootstraps. And when I talk to people about this, they said, my boots doesn't have straps. I said, well, at least you've got strings. So maybe you should try those things. But it doesn't work. Then I read a little bit about this, um, about this expression and found, found out it became, came from the 1800s, whatever. There's a story behind it. I'm not going to tell it now. But part of the story is that it doesn't work. But that's okay. But it became now a saying that we would say to one another and say, well, the world will knock you down. And when the world knocks you down, you just need to grab your boots or your strings or whatever and get up and go. And in this say, there's a little bit of a sadness about this saying, isn't it? You're alone. It's you and your bootstring or your bootstrap that need to get up and start to go. Now, in this section today that we are going to read of Jonah, maybe we'll find something about this illustration that I just used and maybe understand a little bit, a little bit more about his life. Chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city. Three days walk across. I spoke about this my first sermon a few months ago. <laughs> Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overflown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on a sackcloth. Sackcloth was normally just a way of saying, you know, I'm sad. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. 
made by the decree of the king and his nobles. No human being or animal or herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed. They shall not drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God, shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that's in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change His mind. He may turn from His fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they have done, what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed His mind about the calamity that He had said He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. This is the word of our Lord. The guy lying on the shore, or sitting on the shore, is not the same guy that got on the ship. Jonah was sort of full of confidence. He was going to flee from God, he's going to do his own thing, and he's going to live life in the way that he defined it for himself. We find now a different guy on the shore. The guy we find on the shore is a guy that went through a lot of traumas. There was this huge storm that came up, and we know the story. There was this problem with the sailors on the ship that tried to figure out what was going on, the interrogation where they asked him, who are you, what have you done? Then being thrown overboard and he started to sink in the oceans, and we, I spoke about that a little bit last week, and all the troubles he experienced while in the ocean, and now there was seaweed around his head, and he had this near-death experience. Then this fish or whatever God sent that, that, that held him, a fish, and then eventually the fish now vomited him out on the shore. Jonah not in good shape. Jonah not feeling that well about his life anymore. Jonah, I think, stunned. Maybe he's got a little bit of PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome at this point. His security is completely shot. He thought he had it, but he had nothing. So he sits in a sense on the shore, and he is listless, and he's useless. He's just sitting there in some sense. Do you know how many people I've talked to in my life who are knocked down by this world? Who in a sense feels the same. That I, I had a young person sit with me in my office and this person said to me, I wake up in the morning and I think about my day and I think about this world and it is as if the energy is sucked out of my body. And I said, and then this person says, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And this young 27, 28-year-old person is struggling to find his or her way through life because they just do not have the energy anymore. And I said, help me understand. What is your concern? And this person said, well, life is very hard and very difficult. I do not know. Do you know how many times I do not know I heard in that conversation? A person sitting in my office that needs to pull herself up by her bootstraps and she doesn't even have boots. That's the problem. Pull you up by your bootstraps, but if you don't have boots, what do you do then? Stumbling forward through life. It is to this man that God comes on the shore. If you go and read chapter 1 of the book of Jonah, God said to Jonah, Jonah, go to the city Nineveh. Now God comes to Jonah and he says, get up and go to the city in Nineveh. God added another command, get up. Not because he was sitting down or he was lying down, because Jonah at that point needed to hear from God that he needs to get himself active again and act. He, needs to self, he needs to get himself moving, moving forward again. 
the problem. The problem is that if we only think about this world, if we only think about what this life can offer us, if we try to find all our hope and our joy and our peace in what the world brings us, we will become like this guy sitting there without boots. We will have nothing to pull us up with. Because this world can't satisfy. I've spoken to countless of people in my 40 years of ministry. And a lot of people I talked to were outside of God's family, outside of the church. A number of them. And, and they chase after this world doesn't end because they always believe there's something I need to get before I will be okay. Eventually, they burn themselves out because what they are trying to get will not satisfy. There's an emptiness. God is saying to Jonah, you need to get up because your purpose is not defined by what you want. Your purpose is defined by what I want. And that made me realize when I thought about the lesson of this one sentence is when I get up in the morning and I need to go, I've got two things that I can look at at my day. I can look at my day with all the stuff I need to do, or I can look at my day and say, well, in the midst of all of this stuff I need to do, I need to serve the kingdom of God. That's why I'm alive. That's why I exist. I can't only think about life and all the problems and the rubbish that's out there politically and whatever. You turn on the news and you want to sit down because it sucks the life out of you. But if I'm defined by this world and by what's around me, I will not be able to do what God is asking of me to do. So God says, if you wake up in the morning, if you think about your world, think about a dual citizenship. You are part of this world, but you are also part of my kingdom. And I want you to move forward for me. If you believe this world can't satisfy you, you are correct. Because I can. Go for me, is what God said to Jonah. Then God said to Jonah, and I want you to preach the message I'm going to give you. Proclaim the message I tell you. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> I'm so sorry I don't preach one, sermon, one uh, sentence sermons. Um, five words in Hebrew. Only five words in Hebrew. Eight words in English. That was his sermon. You guys will be shocked one Sunday if I come in and I just say eight words and I leave. You will say, man, <laughs> this guy's not feeling well. Guess they would send me to Nineveh to go and preach. Man, I will have a sermon for those guys. God said, you go and tell what I tell you. That's it. Nicole and I had a chat a week or so ago about preaching. He said to me, this is the hardest thing I've done in my life. I said, yeah, I know. She said, you know, I've talked many times in front of people and I've done all of these kinds of things. She said, but to stand in a pulpit and to preach is very difficult. I said, yeah, I know. How many times have people shaken my hand in the back and say, why are your hands so cold? Because I'm stressed. I don't sleep well on a Saturday evening ever for 40 years. I need to do something later this afternoon for our presbytery. That doesn't stress me out whatsoever. A week ago, I had to speak somewhere at a place. It doesn't stress me out whatsoever. I slept like a baby the night before, but when I need to preach, I can't sleep. Do you know why? The moment when I stand here, it's not what Ferdy thinks. I need to try and figure out what God wants me to say to you guys. So there's this wrestle that's going on when I think about my sermons. So, Lord, what do you want me to say? So every morning when I go for a run, I think through my whole sermon, and I write the thing, and then I throw it away. And then I think about what do you want me to say? That it, it, it must be words from you. 
That's why I believe with all my heart that we can put on our sign outside solid biblical teaching here. Because all of us that preachers in this congregation are very serious about being as true as we can to the Word of God, not to add and not to take away. You know, the book of Revelation ends by saying there will be a curse on you if you take away from this book or if you add to this book. That is more about the book of Revelation, but I think it also adds to the whole Scripture. And sadly, in this world that we now live, there are many churches where guys just add stuff that's not in the Bible. I had a couple in my office in this week that's from a different denomination, and they said, but we have these things in there. I said, I'm so sorry, that's not in the Bible. I know my Bible well enough to tell you that's not biblical. Can't add stuff to get people. Can't take away stuff because I'm afraid I'm going to lose people. Go and tell them. Five Hebrew words were enough for God. And then the repentance came. They believed in God. Now that's the most amazing thing is they believed God and they believed sort of in God. That's the coolest thing. I wish that everybody would hear five Hebrew words or eight English words. You know, in 40 days God is going to punish us or God is going to overthrow us, whatever. That the whole world will change, turn around and say, we hear what God is saying. Sermon after sermon after sermon is preached in this world and people do not really hear. They do not really listen. They do not really believe. These guys did. The Word of God broke into their hearts. The Holy Spirit used the Word to break and they were open to hear what God wanted to say to them. And then the change came. And what is the change? Internally, they changed. A Sunday school teacher once asked the class what was meant by the word repentance. A little boy put up his hand and said, It is being sorry for your sins. A little girl also raised her hand and said, It is being sorry enough to quit. To quit the sins that you are doing. And that to me is the coolest thing, is that there needs to be a sorrow inside us. If I hear the word of God, that I'm not always in line with Him. This morning I was reading from Ephesians, no, sorry, Philippians, um, part of my daily devotion. And I, I'm, I'm still stuck in chapter 2, 3 of, of, of Philippians. And I was reading there what Paul said to, to, to this congregation. And I asked myself the question, so, so if Paul says that this is part of who you so should be, your, your mind needs to be renewed and you need to live like God, am I succeeding in doing this daily? Not always. Lord, I'm sorry that I sometimes fail you in this thing. That's part of this hearing the word of God and acknowledging I'm not this cool guy that I many times think I am. And then to go and change it. Then actually to go out and do what is different. That's the outside part of it. They put on sackcloth and all kinds of stuff and stop eating to show God we are really sorry. And then the king said, stop to do these evil things that you guys are thinking that's in your hand because they're really mean to people and doing a lot of stuff. In the 1900s, there was a huge revival in, in Wales. Uh, the people were moved by the Spirit, and thousands of people came to Christ. But the guys in the shipyards had a problem, because over the decades, the guys have been stealing from the shipyards wheelbarrows and tools and all kinds of stuff. And when the revival started in Wales, they started to bring all this stuff back. 
So the shipyards were filled with stuff that was some 10 years old and some 8 years old and some 6 years old. And actually at some point, the people at the shipyards put notices up saying, if you have been led by God to return what you have stolen, please know that management forgives you and wishes you to keep what you have taken. That was a great example. There was a revival, and eventually people hear the voice, heard the voice of God, and they brought back what they took. What do I need to repair in my life between me and others to be obedient to God because I understand what it means to be a child of God? It's the question I think all of us need to ask. And then, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, it started with the people. So, so the king was sort of the last guy that heard this. Started with the people that heard Jonah, and then eventually they started to change their lives, and eventually people started to come in sackcloth, and then slowly but surely this news trickled all the way up and found its way to the king at the top. And the king made the proclamation. He said, we need to change this. In 1857, there was a guy called Jeremiah Lamfer. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He was 46 years old. He lived in New York, and he was really concerned about the city. He walked around and hand, handed out tracts, you know, these typical things that you sometimes find, and he had zero response. At some point, he realized, but the problem is prayer. He said, we are not praying enough. So he went and he started to send out invitations, and this may be one of those things we, I do not know. But, but he started to hand out invitations in the city of New York, and he said, let's pray between noon and 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And he gave the address of this city downtown somewhere. Uh, it was a Lutheran church, third story. We're going to meet here to prayer. And he handed out tracts. And the first Wednesday came on a Wednesday. And he went and he started to pray. And there was no one there. And after 30 minutes, two or three people showed up. A week later, again at noon on a Wednesday. He said, only on a Wednesday, again. He started to pray, no people. After 10 minutes or so, 30 people showed up, started to pray. To make a very long story short, in 18, 1859, there were 15,000 prayer churches around America. Uh, President Franklin Pierce started to go to one of these noonday prayer events because that's what was happening during that time. The president joined a prayer team in Washington, D.C. between 12 and 1 p.m. in the afternoon because a guy in New York was decided we just need to pray. Now, I do not think all of us will be able to do this, but I asked myself the question when I heard this story, so what can I say that can maybe change a family or the friends that I hang out with or the people that I work with? You see, Jonah didn't come with a sermon. He came with one sentence. Just but one sentence. So maybe our prayer should be in the morning when we wake up, uh, Lord, but, but what is the sentence? You want me to say today to someone somewhere that may start a change in that person's life. And some, sometimes when one person in a family changes, then the family starts to change and maybe a greater group of people will start to change. Lord, my sentence for today, help me get it. I'm almost done. And then God changed his mind. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do this. 
in the world of theology, in the world of theology, there's a lot of conversation about who God is, and there are some groups that say God is like an alarm clock with respect. That your life is like this alarm clock. You are set up, and you go through the motion until your bell rings and you're dead. That's it. So you've got your start date and your expiration date, and what happens between the two is, in a way, out of your control. It is like an alarm clock. It just goes through the stuff. So many times I've had this, convers- had this conversation with our um, confirmation classes. Do you think we can change God's mind? Absolutely we can. It's the book of Jonah. It's the book of Genesis. It's the book of Exodus. Where God said, I'm going to do something. And then when people spoke to him and asked him, he said, okay, I will not do this now. I will do it some, some other way, whatever. I believe with all my heart that God is involved with us every moment of every day in this world. So if somebody turns to God today, I can't say, some people say, well, God decided a gazillion years ago if I'm not going to believe or not. That's rubbish. That's nonsense. God is involved with us at this moment as we sit in this church. Our God can and will change His mind because our God wants to save people. Jesus Christ came to this world so that everyone who believes in Him may be saved. So if anybody turns to Christ today, it's because he loves the Lord and God says, you are saved. God changed his his mind because if we do not believe, we will lose God. So God is involved with all that we do every single day. Finally. There's a little bit of sadness about pulling yourself up by your bootstrings, isn't it? You're alone. It is as if we are reminding ourselves, but You know, as you go through life and life knocks you down, you need to grab yourself and you just need to go and and hopefully what you are grabbing on will hold. I want to offer you something different. Not to pull yourself up by your bootstrings, but pull yourself up by the promises, the person, and the purposes of God. You see, if I wake up in the morning and I think about what God has promised me in His Word, I can get up. If I think about the person of God who says, I'm here with you, and if you need something, you ask me, I'll change my mind and give it to you further if you plead enough. There's even a story in the Bible about a woman that complained so much in front of a judge, and he said, you're driving me nuts, let me give you this thing. God says, Jesus says, that's how my father is. You plead, he will eventually give it to you. Just ask him. The promises, the person but also then the purposes of God. That will make me get up. Because I know it's not only about the few things that I try to gather around this world that gives me purpose. It has to do with maybe that one sentence that God still wants me to say that may change a life, that God can change His mind about someone. Bootstrings? No. I've got God. He will make me get up. He will help me to go. Amen.